Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. John chapter 13. We continue on as we go to John 13 this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we now open your word and we look at what it has to say in addressing every one of our needs and issues. And Father, there are so many things in our lives that need to be touched by your hand. That Lord, we, as we look at this this morning, we would see your desire to change us and to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we look at verse 21, where we left off last week, when Jesus had said these things, what things? About being a servant to one another. And really to understand the importance of that, as Jesus had demonstrated to them the way they should be, we should then be towards one another. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one will betray me. Now, this is a difficult part of scripture, I find, no matter how you look at this. It just is. That Jesus allowed the one that would betray him to be in his inner circle. Now, it's one thing to not know somebody's going to betray you. It's another thing to know somebody's going to betray you and leave them in your inner circle. You know, usually when we find the rat, you know, you turn on TV and you see these different movies about the mob and the mafia. Hey, he's a rat. You know, let's take him out and get rid of him. You know, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, the minute they find out he's a he's a mole, they do away with him. Jesus allowed this guy to go on and on and on in his circle. Why is that important? Well, it tells me a lot of things. One, God's love, his mercy endures forever. If he extended mercy and love for one that would betray him, how much more will God extend his love and mercy for us? We have no intention of betraying Christ, but we may not always live the way he wants us to live, but he allowed Judas to be in his group. Friends, I like this. This shows me a great amount of God's love for us. The second thing I find here is it says he was troubled. A lot of times we hear that if you as a Christian show any emotion, that's wrong. That's not a case at all. Jesus showed emotion. Says he was troubled. Why? Because he realized. Now, what was Jesus troubled about? Don't know exactly. Was he troubled that somebody that he had hoped so highly for, like Judas Iscariot, would change his mind? That might be part of it. Is it what he would face later on that evening when Judas was to go to the Sanhedrin and declare to him and show them where he would be alone that night, where the Romans and the Pharisees could come and seize Jesus? Was he troubled about that? Or was Jesus concerned about the disciples that would be left behind in their scattered state to remain as his, as his brethren. 
I think as we read on here, we're going to see what it was. The disciples looked to one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. One of the other gospels say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? You know, what's really amazing about this, the stealthiness of Judas Iscariot. When Jesus said, somebody's going to betray me tonight, they all looked at one another, pointed to Jesus and went, aha! It didn't happen. Judas was good at what he was doing. He was able to fool them all. He fooled them all, but he didn't fool Jesus. They all began to go, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? You know, it's, I think, kind of an interesting thing. They began to do what's called self-examination. Lord, you know, is it me? You know, um, uh, you know sometimes you'll see that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I don't know if you have kids, but sometimes you'll, you'll get them and, and um, you, you, know, you know, you're mad at them because they spilled water all over the bathroom. And you call them in and say, boy, you're in trouble. I didn't mean to take the cookie. Cookie? You're in here because you spilled water. I mean, they start fessing up to all this. I'm sorry I broke the window out of the back bedroom and I'm sorry. You know, I'm going, well, wait, 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 I don't want to hear it all. I did, was mad at you because you spilled the water in the bathroom. Well, they began to, Lord, is it I? And uh, notice, Jesus says. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, in the Lord's Supper, we always see the Michelangelo version of them all sitting at a big long table and Jesus in the middle and his little halo and all the disciples with their halos bumping halos and stuff like that. But actually, when they would eat like this, they would lay reclined kind of around a circle. And so John leaned back against Jesus. And notice it says here, And leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, John. Now, by the way, God, Jesus loved all the disciples. It's just, I believe that John realized the love that God had for him. And so John will oftentimes, in his book, refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Simon, therefore, mentioned to him to ask who it was whom he spoke. Who's going to betray you? Peter speaks out and says, John, ask Jesus who it's going to be. And so Jesus answered, it's to whom I shall give the piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Whoa, wait a minute. Let's talk about that. That would mean that on one side of Jesus is John the Baptist, or excuse me, John. And the other side was Judas Iscariot. Now the one who got the first piece of bread was the one who was basically the guest of honor. It's weird that, that Judas was in the place next to Jesus where he would be able to dip the sop in with him and give him the piece of bread. Now, friends, I look at this as a real important part that Jesus gave to Judas Iscariot every opportunity that he could to cause him to stop doing what he was doing. You know, people sometimes think that people just willy-nilly go to hell. I don't believe that. I believe that in a person's life, God throws up many road signs saying, you're on the wrong road. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been on the wrong road before? 
And you think you know where you're going and the farther you go, you go, I don't think any of this looks very familiar to me. You take a dirt road and it's not the right road. And all of a sudden you begin to, as the rocks are flying up, hitting the undercarriage of the car going, I don't think I'm on the freeway anymore. You're on the wrong road. You took the wrong off-ramp. Well, as we look at this, he allows him to be the one in position of honor. In other words, if we were to put this in modern vernacular, we would say if we were at a big party and there was a toast, he would be the one that everybody was toasting to. He was the first one to receive the bread. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew what reason Jesus had said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had carried the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy those things which are needed for the feast, or maybe to go give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Now, this is strange because Jesus basically dismisses him. Now, once Jesus is dismissed, now friends, this is where just sometimes reading quickly through the Bible, you miss these things. Judas Iscariot is now not part of the group. Judas is gone. Now Jesus begins to reveal to them the secrets of the heart. And I love that. You see, when, when God takes out what doesn't belong, then God brings in what does. You'll find this not only in the Bible, but you'll find it in your own life as well. I always, Lord, I just pray for the people that are, that helicopter is going to go. I, every time I hear that helicopter, I pray for people because they're going to pick up people that are splattered on the highway. I always do that. I, sorry, I just, I always do. Um, but the thing is, is it, is it once God takes out of our lives, then he brings in what belongs. God always subtracts before he multiplies. Otherwise he would multiply what doesn't belong in our lives. So God in his love takes out of our life so that he can reveal to us what he wants. Judas Iscariot is now out of the room. He's gone And so when he had gone out, and if you like to underline things in your Bible, that's a good thing to underline that phrase. So when he had gone out. Because what you're going to find now, once he had gone out, Jesus now reveals to them the secrets of love and of the kingdom and in the things to come in chapter 14. So what you find here in verse 31 in the first part of this is the preface for chapter 14 where he says, in my father's house are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you. But he couldn't say that with Judas Iscariot in the room. He had to wait till Judas Iscariot left because Jesus had not prepared a place for Judas Iscariot because Judas Iscariot was to betray him. So let's look at this. And when he had gone out, Judas Iscariot had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, 
I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me as I said to the Jews. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that your love so that you would love one another. Here he's saying, you guys need to love one another. And and this is so important. This isn't some gushy, ushy love. This is a genuine concern for each other to see their life bettered. You know, I often have seen in the Bible, people ask me a question. How much do you do being a Christian and how much does God do? And I think it's really interesting that a lot of times we like just one big blanket statement. But it doesn't really work that way. And generally speaking, God, after you've done everything God's commanded us to do, he does the rest. But that's not even always the case. We remember in the case of the children of Israel, they woke up every morning and the food was all on the ground. They didn't have to do anything except go out and pick it up. We find others, such as Noah, God told them to build an ark. It took him a hundred years to do it. And by the way, some people believe that just the very nature of the boat being built over a hundred years, the decay rate before the flood was different than after the flood, which would really mess up carbon dating, just as a caveat. But the thing is, because most of us, if we started building something uh, in a hundred years, by the time I got the front half done, the back half had been rotted out. So you have to realize that something was going on there. Well, anyway, the point is, it took him 100 years. Other places we find in the Bible, God did things instantaneously. So how much do we do? How much does God do? Again, God does everything after he has told us to do. It's in his hands. And friends, again, it isn't something that we can manufacture. I don't need to, you know, sometimes I feel my prayers are to talk God into my idea. That's not the way it works. I just say, God, you do this. Now, you change me so that I'll be a better, I'll, I'll be a better answer to the puzzle than I am right now. And, and if you don't have questions concerning your life and your relationship with God and uh, things in the future and all those things, if you don't have it today, I guarantee you will. My first question then is, have I done everything that God says I should do about this? Well, the first thing is, if I realize the need, what do I need? And this gets back to what we talked about earlier, where wisdom comes in. When I need something to be done, because see, a lot of people want to do the thing, you know, okay, God, I need this. Poof is God. You want to, here I am, you have three wishes. I mean, that's kind of the mentality that we get sometimes when it comes to to our our Christian uh, answered prayers. But sometimes God really, and it is not that God can't do that, but I find that in your and my needs, usually God is endeavoring to do something outside of myself with the need that he's presented to me. I remember one time I had a new washing machine. Took me forever to get it hooked up. I finally hooked it up. It was new, but it was out of warranty. Turned it on. Did about, oh, four months worth of loads of laundry. And the agitator broke off of the, of the pulley on the bottom. There was a shaft. And I go, oh, no. 
So I, I, I laid it over on the side and I pulled all the stuff out and I saw the parts where it was broken. I didn't have a welder, so I took it down to this one place that welded. And while I'm there getting this welded and me saying, why did this have to happen? It's supposed to be brand new. I don't know if this relates with anybody here. Nothing's made good anymore. Yeah, and by the way, if you think about it a minute, remember, have you ever been to an antique? I'm oh, this is a dirt road. I hope I can remember where I left. But anyway, have you ever been in an antique store? And they've got these things that are like 100 years old, like old irons and stuff. Let me tell you, it lasted longer than the warranty. Nowadays, the warranty, all it pretty much does is tell you how long it's going to last. Because the day it goes out of warranty, bing, it breaks. Well, anyway, this thing lasted about four hours. So I take it out, and I'm mad, and I get in the car, and I drive it out, and I'm a complainer. I really am. I have found that in my life, I'm a complainer by nature. You know, it's funny. The thing that kept the children of Israel from going into the promised land was not smoking and drinking and cussing and chewing and running around people who do. You know what kept them out of the promised land? Complaining. Oh, I get convicted on that. So I'm driving. So I get down there. I go in there, and the guy goes, yeah, I can weld it up for you, and he's putting it together, and he's getting ready to weld it. We start talking, and he told me that his wife had left him. And all of a sudden, I realized that this thing didn't just break. It was an opportunity for me to share the gospel with somebody. I would have never, ever been there had that not had happened. And so all of a sudden, I begin to think, God, you're not just breaking our stuff. Because you're mad at us, or I'm going through this trial because you don't like me, or this is just some kind of a faith-stretching experience, but it's that I would interact with others. And so here I am sharing with this guy and praying with this guy in the shop for him as he's welding up this thing. And I look at that and I begin to realize, you know, a lot of things happen to us. And when we realize that as a child of God, nothing happens to you and me by accident. We are not accidents. You weren't a created accident. You're a divine appointed to be here on this earth at this time. No one's ever been like you like this before. No one will ever be like you ever again. You are unique and the things that surround your life are that way. And because of that, God has placed us in a world that we would interact with people. But sometimes I'm really reluctant to interact with people. Well, Jesus said, to love one another. And oftentimes, if I'm not placed in positions where I have to, friends, I won't. I, 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 you know, I have my little world. And I like my little world. Don't invade my little world. And it gets invaded. And then I have to love. And I go, Ugh. But see, that's what Jesus said. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? I'm glad you asked. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you would also love one another. Now here's the reason why. It's underlined in my Bible. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow. 
I thought it was the, the graduation diploma on my wall that says that I'm a disciple of Christ. Or I thought it was my ability to quote verses. Or I thought it was my ability to do wondrous works and you know wear really Gucci clothes. <laughs> no, it says people will know we're Christians by our love. And friends, that is really, I believe, an astounding statement. When you look at the religions of the world today, and they'll know you're a jihadist by as many buildings as you can blow up. Well, here, Jesus says, it's by love. See, that's what reveals what we're made out of. Now, friends, listen, I can love when I'm having a good day. I have a hard time to love when I'm not having a good day. You ever notice that? Go away, leave me alone, come back when things are better. Mm, in a bad mood, not the side they go. But you know, the Bible tells us that we love one another. It shows what we are. It shows that there's something inside of us. Now, how do I love one another? I'm glad you asked that too. <laughs> I ask these questions many times to myself. I see the value in who they are rather than for what they're doing. Jesus was saying these things, friends, under the most intense time of his life, right before he would go out to the Mount of Olives and be arrested. Usually when you're under that kind of stress, you're not talking about loving one another. Jesus knew that there would be a tendency to scatter if they didn't love one another because of what was going to happen later on. Now he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? By the way, he's not the only one that asked this. Andrew uh, um, asked it in the next uh, chapter as well. And it says, I will lay my life down for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay your life down for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, Peter, before the rooster shall, shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Wow. Now, what is this? What's really amazing here is that oftentimes we think we're more than we are. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.